Oh, thank you. P please take a seat. It's uh, great to see you, and I didn't expect to see the other Brentford fan here this morning. Where is he or she? Fantastic. Special blessing on you uh, this morning. Wonderful. Very good. Um, your pastors are in New Zealand, um, which I just want to honour them. I've known Barry and Sarah for about, I think, 14 years, something like that. I was trying to work out how long. I can't really remember. It doesn't really matter. But I've known them for a, a good amount of time. And I, I actually arrived a little bit early this morning. The M25 was kind to me. And so I just sort of flicked on Facebook. And actually, bizarrely, the first post that came up was Barry. And he's been preaching in New Zealand, preached twice, and, and someone, I don't know why, challenged him to a keepy-uppy contest, and there's actually film of it, and of course, um, he destroyed them, as you would expect. And it reminded me, actually, of one of the first times I'd met Barry, and it was at some kind of equipper's leadership thing. And when blokes get together, there's this insatiable appetite to be competitive, and someone suggested a press-up competition. And this is quite a long time ago. And I was going to the gym quite regularly. And I quietly fancied myself to do quite well in this, particularly when I saw the people lumbering forward to take part in this contest. I knew them. And I, I kind of made my way up to the front. And then someone said, you know, go on, Barry. And I didn't really know who this guy Barry was. And I saw Barry, and he looked annoyingly fit. And after about 15 seconds, everybody else has sort of collapsed on the floor and there was me. I was going quite well. I think I did something around 30 or 40, which isn't usually impressive, but it was certainly more than anybody else could do. By the time I got to 30 or 40, every sinew in my body was crying out to stop. And I just happened to glance across at Barry, who was there, who was now doing a press-ups with, with one hand, you know, and it was so embarrassing. So I just, I just gave up at that moment. It was, it, was, it was painful. Anyway, look, Dan, thank you for the introduction. I've been part of Equippers for about 18 years now. And as has been mentioned, I actually led an Equippers church in Brentford for a number of years. So very privileged to do that. And um, I've got a message for you this morning, which I really believe is going to not just inspire you, not just challenge you, but I really believe if you've got open hearts this morning, something is going to be imparted, which I believe we all really need, and we really need it particularly at this season. And so Barry texted me a couple of weeks ago. I was actually on a holiday, and he asked if I would preach, and I said, yes, because I've got something that I think will be good for you. And I sort of told him what it was, and it was a sort of text conversation. And then I saw um, on your Facebook page that you just started a new series called I Will. So I thought, oh, I better kind of rewrite that a little bit so it, it fits. So the title of the message this morning is, I will be a person of hope, because I want to talk to you about this morning is hope. And I think you might have had a couple of messages about hope recently, so I'm hoping this isn't going to be a repeat. I don't think it is, actually. So the title of the message is, um, I will be a person of hope. Great, you've got my slides there. Fantastic. So if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to it, don't worry. If you don't have a Bible, it will come up on the screen. We're going to take a look at Hebrews 6.19. And this is a well-known scripture, but it's the one that I've been looking at over the past few weeks. And I've been looking at it because I've found that I want a greater measure of hope in my life. And often, when, when you get something like that and you then get asked to speak, generally what ministers to you will minister to everybody else. So I'm trying to give you confidence, I think. And I hope what I've got is going to help you this morning. So we're going to talk about hope. This, the scripture is, this is our anchor scripture this morning, and I use that term deliberately. We have this hope 
as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is the importance of hope. So we'll talk a little bit about what hope actually is. I want to talk about an eternal hope, why hope for eternity is important. And I want to talk to you about hope for now. Okay, so there's a lot to get through in an hour and 10 minutes. Just kidding. 30 minutes. Okay. So, so I will be a person of hope is the message title, but there are three things that I kind of want you to take away from the message this morning. All messages come in three. He's done it. There's three points, three things. Okay. We are recipients of hope. If you're here this morning and you said yes to Jesus and you're on that journey of faith, you are a recipient of hope. If you are a recipient of hope, you are a carrier of hope. And if you are a carrier of hope, you should then be an agent of hope. Okay? So, so we're recipients of hope, carriers of hope, agents of hope. Now, a lot of you here, I don't know. Some of you here, maybe for the first time, maybe some of you are here and you would say, I don't know yet about where I am on this faith journey. Well, I really pray this morning that something that I deliver touches your heart and you want to go on a journey um, of hope. That's my real prayer this morning. And here's the thing, it, it's, really, it's really tragic, I think, for people to not have hope. And, and, you know, the last two or three years particularly, what we have been fed by the media is really a diet of depression, if I'm honest. Now, that's not to say that we haven't had challenging times. We have had challenging times. Two years of news about coronavirus, we're all fed up with that and we feel like it's not gone, but certainly the impact has been receded. And then there's the war um, in Ukraine and we are really feeling the pinch from that now with you know, rising prices and then recently the mini budget and all of the worry around interest rates and, and none of these things should, should, should be ignored because they're real. You know, I've got a mortgage and, you know, I was wincing thinking about what my payments could be in a couple of years' time. So these are, these are real things. We don't, we don't just ignore them because that's daft. But what we hear on the news is only a selection of news because the news isn't the news. The news is what we just get fed. There's actually some amazing stuff that are going on. And actually, as I came in this morning, I just saw some things about IJM, which is uh, an organization that we support and I know you support. In fact, I think um, it was Pastor Barry that actually got us in uh, Surrey onto IJM. And, you know, we contribute to IJM and, and some wonderful things going on there. So it's not all doom and gloom. But what I do want to say is, sadly, a lot of what we hear appears to be that way. And there's a lot of things going on. There, there's, there's stuff that we need to to navigate and in the midst of that the danger is that we can lose hope and I want to say this morning come on there there is hope and I'm going to explain that to you and so let me just share a little funny story which I think illustrates what it is to be not of hope so a few years ago um, my wife Anne Marie and my son Harrison um, he would have been about 14 then this is about 2009, we took our one and only holiday to France and someone had suggested to us that we, we do this holiday and in fact we, um, we, we, we used their holiday home that they had in a place called Brittany and so he kind of fixed this up for us and it all sounded really, really nice and we got the ferry from Dover and we had about a seven or eight hour journey from wherever it was, the ferry docked out, I had no idea, big straight road down to Brittany and I worked out that I have enough petrol in the car to get me to where we were going. And we had a Tom Tom. Anyone remember Tom Toms in the car? Yeah, Tom Tom. 
it's an old, old sort of fashioned sat nav, really. And so anyway, we were driving, we're doing really well driving along, and we've been going, I know, we felt we'd have got about half an hour to go, and the needle was getting quite dangerously close to empty. And anyway, about half an hour later, Tom Tom takes us down some windy track and leads us into a field and then announces, you've arrived at your destination. And I knew that we hadn't, because we got the address and it was nowhere near. But we were sort of in the immediate vicinity. So I was a little bit worried, because we, we were now out of Petri. You know, the dial was on right on the E. You know, there was no, it couldn't go any lower. And the problem was, I don't speak French. My wife is a Kiwi who doesn't speak French. And my son was just starting doing GCSE French, but I have not an awful lot of confidence in using it. But we had a phrase book. And so I did the very male thing, which said, we just need to ask someone. We just need to ask someone. So, so there's, there's no one around. So anyway, we, we went out of this field anyway. We, we, we saw some houses, and we just drove up some random driveway. and. And we volunteered my wife to go and, and knock on the door. <laughs> she, she had a piece of paper which had the address on. And, and so we're trying to work out how do we say we're lost and you know, can you help us? Anyway, we, we had this phrase book. And, um, so Harrison looked up in the phrase book, the phrase, which was something along the lines of we're lost or whatever it was. And so, so we watched from the safety of the car as Anne-Marie knocked on the door. A woman came out. And, you know, when you've obs you're observing a conversation, but you can't hear anything, but you know it's not really going well, there's not really an exchange, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. And so I could, I could see my wife, um, Amory's very sort of, you know, she's, she, she uses her hands a lot, and I could see her sort of using her hands, and I, and I, I saw this woman look, and, and obviously she said it again. And then I saw this French lady, and, and she did four things. The first thing she did was she kind of shrugged her shoulders, sort of like that. And then she shook her head, and then she kind of threw her arms up in the air of exasperation, turned around and shut the door. <laughs> and Anne-Marie comes back into the car, and I asked this dumb question, which was, how did that go? Um, not well at all. And I think miraculously we were hoping that suddenly we'd meet someone who spoke English and she would give us the directions. Anyway, cut a long story short, we somehow found our direction. But what I what I take from that little account was that those four things that that lady did really summed up hopelessness. Now, the funny thing was, when, when she got back into the car, and we were kind of debriefing, this didn't go very well, I said, well, did you say the thing? You know, did you? She said yes, and she sort of said what she said, and then, of course, it was pidgin French in a New Zealand accent, which probably confused the woman. We then consulted the phrase book, and instead of saying something like, we're lost, can you help us find our destination, or whatever, we wanted to say, Anne-Marie actually said, we are without hope. Now, why that would be in a phrase book, I've no idea. But she actually said, we are without hope, and then pointed to the address, which is why the woman shrugged her shoulders, <laughs> shook her head, threw her hands in the air, and turned and shut the door. But those four things, I think, when you shrug your shoulders, you kind of, you kind of like, you're not, you're not convinced. You don't, you don't really care. Obviously, a nod of the head is saying, I don't, I don't believe it. Throwing the arms in the air is exasperation, and actually shutting the door is saying we're done. And I think those are four pictures of hopelessness. And so this morning, if you are, have come here and you've got one of those kind of postures in your heart of hopelessness, I really hope this morning that that can be replaced with something of hope. So, what is hope? Let me give you a dictionary definition of hope. By the way, this dictionary definition of hope is not the hope that we're talking about, but this is what it says. To cherish a desire with anticipation, to want something to happen or to be true. 
to want something to happen or be true. I, remember, I, I read some notes actually of a message I did on hope about 12 years ago. And trying to illustrate the point which Christian hope is not wishful thinking, I said, it's not wishful thinking like, I'd love it if one day Brentford were in the Premier League. I actually preached that 12 years ago. Who, who knew? Who knew? But wishful thinking like, I hope it doesn't rain. I actually went to bed last night thinking, I hope it doesn't rain because I don't really want to do the drive in the rain because I woke up this morning and where I was, it rained. I arrived in Colchester and the sun is shining and it's dry. Absolutely. So, hope is not wishful thinking. Let me give you um, a definition, but before that, a picture of what I think hope looks like. Um, this little slide. So, the three Christian virtues are faith, hope and love, okay, described in the New Testament. And I think that hope is actually beautifully portrayed here by this little child who is pulling along their parents' love and faith. Because I think that that actually starts with hope. In other words, if you are to be someone who can love, I think you need to have hope in your heart. Hebrews 11 verse 1 teaches us that actually faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. And it's interesting, this scripture has always fascinated me because it starts with the word now. Often, if you start a sentence, you start a sentence with now. Pause, there'd be a comma. When my mum still does this, she's 90 years old and when she wants to make a point to me, she'll say now pause for dramatic effect and then she'll tell me what the thing is. There's no comma here, is there? So what that says is that now faith is an immediate faith. But we can only have an immediate faith if we've actually got a long-term hope. Okay, so faith is what we hope for. Joyce Meyer, commenting on this scripture, says this, hope is the springboard of faith. In other words, in order to have faith, we need to have hope. So let's go back to our scripture. So we have hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So the Greek word, the Greek word for hope is a word called elpizo. And the definition of that is an eager, confident expectation. See, that's not wishful thinking. An eager, confident expectation is not wishful thinking. It's not kind of wishy-washy. It's got substance behind it. So we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. So what's this hope? So a few verses up from this scripture, a little earlier on in Hebrews 6, the writer is saying this, that God made this promise to Abraham, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. So what was promised to Abraham? God promises to Abraham in Genesis three times this. Let's look at Genesis 12. What I'm trying to do is give you a bigger picture of hope, Christian hope. I will make you, this is God speaking to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Let me give you a photo of what that looks like. This is what God was speaking about. Any Scottish people in the room? Fantastic. You might look at this and think, I was going to just try and do a Scottish accent. I won't. You might be thinking, this looks like a Scottish flag. Well, actually, I've deliberately done that because this cross is the cross of St. Andrew. St. Andrew, the brother of Peter, 
who was crucified on a diagonal cross. He was crucified on a diagonal cross because he didn't feel he was worthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. But if you look at this diagram, it's really interesting, isn't it? I'm going to wander over here just so I can point to it. But God's original plan right in the beginning was all people, everybody would know Jesus, would, ever, would, or would know God, would follow him so right over here. And then we had the fall and then God really announces his plan of redemption. Another thing you want to might want to capture this morning is that God is a redemptive God however broken you may be feeling however messed up your life may be God has a redemptive plan for you so God had a redemptive plan and he announced his plan to Abraham that, that the nation of Israel would be the nation that would bring God's good news and not only would be blessed but would be a blessing to everybody else and and then what you see if you read your Bible this is basically the Bible in one slide by the way if you want to know what the Bible means, this is it. And so, and, and so what happens is we have the nation of Judah and then there's the remnant. And then this is all fulfilled right at the center here by one faithful Hebrew by the name of Jesus. He went to the cross, died, rose again. And then we have the disciples and then churches and nations. And then we, us here in the UK, you guys in Essex, us in Surrey, we now continue the story onward, hence the arrows. That's God's good and great plan that's the promise and it goes into eternity um, Peter the brother of Andrew puts it like this talking about hope praise be to God the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope so we don't just have a wishful thinking kind of hope we've got something called a living hope Right, So for those of us who are believers this morning, we said yes to Jesus. We have him living inside of us, i.e. our living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We talked about that this morning in communion, which was a, a really great time from the dead. And into an inheritance. We've got something waiting for us that can never perish spoil or fade whatever is going on now whatever challenge you've got now whatever your mortgage interest rate may look like now there's an inheritance that will never spoil or fade because of what Jesus has accomplished for us and it is not wishful thinking sometimes in church we like to have a kind of a whoop whoop response but I believe when we receive something like this we just need to let the weight weight of it just just permeate our souls the NLT emphasizes that scripture from Peter it says we now live with great expectation so this all hinges on Jesus, hence that diagram. It all hinges on his death and, crucially, his resurrection. So I want to talk just for a couple of minutes. I want to sort of segue just into the whole importance of the resurrection because that is really what gives us our living hope, right? We have not just an eternal perspective, but we have an eternal destiny. And it's all set around the resurrection. So I'm going to give you three points really, really quickly before I then move on to hope because it's really important that we understand this. Because people are thinking about this a lot um, right now. So the importance of the resurrection, first of all, it validates the claims of Jesus. Jesus made a whole lot of claims about himself in the Gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of light. I am the light of the world. 
etc., etc. And then he made this other claim, I am the resurrection and the life. This claim was made after he'd raised uh, Lazarus from the dead, which was great news for Lazarus. But it was also a picture of what Jesus was going to do himself. So Jesus, in saying that I am the resurrection and the life, isn't just saying that in me there's life. He's saying that I am that. I am the giver of life. And I am the giver of resurrection life. And as John points out in his first letter, anyone who then confesses the name of Jesus as Lord and Saviour enjoys that as well. This is what it says. This is what God has testified, that he has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. The other thing about the resurrection, or the second thing, is this. It proves the sinless character and the divine nature of Jesus. Psalm 16.10 says this. For you will not leave my soul among the dead, or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. The resurrection really uh, confirms to us that Jesus is who he said he was. Right? He was the perfect Son of God. The third thing about the resurrection is that it really, really happened. All of the appearances. He appeared to hundreds and hundreds of people, um, as Paul writes here in 1 Corinthians 15. It says he was buried. So he was really, really dead. He wasn't just in a bad way. Jesus was absolutely clinically dead. This wasn't some kind of hoax. Then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Then he appeared to James and then all the apostles. And then last of all he appeared to me. This is Paul speaking. So the point here is that the resurrection actually happened. It is a reality. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. In other words, we too will have resurrected bodies one day. That's something to look forward to. I hope you're looking forward to that. Yeah. But the resurrection is central to our faith. And when I think about that first Easter, you've kind of got the terror of Friday and the triumph of Sunday. You've got the passion of Jesus on the Friday. You've got the power of God on the Sunday. And by the way, that power of God was wrought by the Holy Spirit, which I remind you again, the Bible says in Romans 8, 11, it's the same spirit that lives in us who rolled a stone away and raised Jesus from the dead. Now, now you, you, you're allowed to actually get a little bit excited about that. But the whole point of all this is that Jesus is alive, right? Jesus is alive. And... and it's been an interesting thing, actually, with, with the whole passing of the Queen, which I, mean, I don't think anybody in this room does not remember the Queen on the throne. I certainly don't remember anyone before her. You know, she's an institution, really. And in more recent years, has been really declaring her faith in Christ in a more and more public way. And so, what, you know, whatever you think about the royal family or not, what we know is she's someone who's followed Jesus, and I believe certainly in her latter years has done her best um, to, to, to talk about that and, and, and to live that out. And so there's been a lot of confusion. I've seen a lot of things on Facebook and also from Christians as well about, you know, what, you know, what, 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 is, what is our eternal destiny, which is why I believe as Christians we need to absolutely be rock solid in what this hope that Hebrews 6.19 is talking about. What this living hope is. What is it? It's something that anchors us. This scripture from Hebrews was written to a group of people that were under pressure. I, I think we'd probably say now, even in our Western world, we're under a bit of pressure 
certainly under financial pressure. There's a lot of instability going on. You talk to young people, and, and a lot of young people are saying, well, the, you know, this, this war that's going on in Ukraine, you know, what's the outcome going to be? What's, what's everything going to look like? And the answer is we don't really know, but we trust God. And the crucial thing is we have an eternal destiny. Jesus has conquered death, the last enemy. And, and I just believe that as the church, we need to be confident in our message that that is the truth, that is the reality, because we are what? We are recipients of hope, we are carriers of hope, and we are agents of hope. So, going back to Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. It's interesting, isn't it, when that scripture was written, obviously the analogy there is about a boat, and obviously if you lower an anchor, the boat is what? It's firm and secure. The writer to the Hebrews is obviously anticipating that they are going to be in some choppy waters. Hence the need for an anchor. You know, a boat doesn't need to lower an anchor if everything's calm. If the sea's calm, the boat isn't going to capsize. It's not going to drift away. It might bob around a little bit, but it's not going anywhere. An anchor is only needed when there's choppy waters. So what the writer is saying there is you are either going through difficult times or you will do. Therefore, this is your anchor. And it's this hope we've been talking about. We probably now, some of you as individuals, may be going through some choppy waters. What's your anchor? Well, it's this. This is it. And it's interesting, the analogy doesn't kind of work perfectly because we, when you think about an anchor, you lower an anchor. I guess when we think about heavenly things, we think about God, we sort of unconsciously look up, don't we? So in a way, the anchor's up. It doesn't really work <laughs> perfectly. The other thing I would say about an anchor is that an anchor keeps a boat still. But actually, we're anchored up so that we can move forward in our faith. So it doesn't work perfectly, but you understand, um, hopefully, what I mean. So eternal destiny is so important. And, and yeah, the interesting thing, I've noticed people talking about the, um, the queen and, and just, just people saying, oh, you know, uh, these little Facebook memes about, you know, I saw a picture, someone had a picture up of, of, the, of the queen still with a crown on, sitting on a cloud playing a harp, you know. I mean, it's, there's so much confusion about eternity. And, and, I, and I, can't, I can't do it justice now, but I, I just want to say, here and now is that we, we need to understand that the Bible actually does make our eternal destiny really clear. But what it does is it gives us signposts and not photographs. So what I mean by that is on the N25 this morning, I was getting a signpost to Colchester that way. Point, it points in the right direction. It doesn't give me a photograph of what Colchester's like. What a Bible does, it talks, it gives us signposts for eternity. So when Jesus was on the cross and there was a robber next to him, and one on the other side, but the one who acknowledges him, Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, what does paradise look like? We, say, well, we don't really know, but there's a signpost. Jesus also says, in my father's house there are many mansions. What does that mean? Well, again, we don't quite know what it looks like, but interestingly, the Greek word um, is a word called monai, which means a temporary lodging. Here's the point. Our eternal destiny is not into a mansion. So people say, well, will I go to heaven when I die? Answer, yes and no. Because there's life after death and there's life after life after death. 
So life after death is you will be with me in paradise. So if you're thinking about the queen or anyone actually who's confessed faith in Jesus or even before Jesus' heart was moved to God, they will be in paradise in a mansion. But if you read scripture, it points, signposts, to God's redemptive nature where we, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. So that's life after life after death. That's when Jesus comes back. That's when we get our renewed bodies. And so I can't, I, I've given you the end times in 90 seconds. <laughs> There's a bit more to it than that. But, but, but the thing is, you now know more than probably 90% of Christians because they don't, sadly, know. But So this is our eternal hope. This is our eternal hope. My dad passed away um, in 2008. He came to faith a month before he died. The scripture that helped him come to faith was the one about the robber on the cross because he was dying in hospital of cancer, knowing that he, he sensed the presence of God, didn't quite know what to do, and then said to me, you know that robber on the cross thing? And we talked about it, and, and I led him to the Lord four weeks before he died. Amazing. Fantastic. So what are we? Oh, thank you. So we are recipients of hope. We are carriers of hope. And we should be agents of hope. I'm going to run out of time in a minute, so I might not finish this. I'll, I'll, I'll move quickly. So look, if, we, if we're recipients of hope, we're carriers of hope, we need to be agents of hope. Tom Wright says this, what you think about death and life beyond it is the key to thinking seriously about everything else. So if, you're good, if you have a good understanding of our eternal perspective, if you have a good understanding that actually those of us who say yes to Jesus are going to be in heaven, paradise but those who aren't aren't then that is going to motivate you it's going to motivate me to how we live our lives now so that we can be agents of hope my wife it, she, she's not here this morning some of you she is probably the biggest agent of hope I know and yet she's the most understated person she in, in asking the question of how can I be an agent of hope, she works part-time. She's a phlebotomist. That's someone who takes blood. I hate blood, by the way, and I get very nervous when people take blood. She obviously loves it. Um, <laughs> she sees between 30 and 40 people every day um, in her surgery, and what does she do? She gives them hope. Because generally when you go to have your blood taken, you're a bit vulnerable. If you're like me, you're very vulnerable. But you're a bit vulnerable because often, you know, you might have something wrong with you. You might have an illness that, you, that they're, taking, they're doing the test and they don't quite know what's wrong. My wife is amazing. She just gives people hope. And, and what does that look like? Well, it's, no, it's nothing religious. She just has a disposition where she knows that she can make someone's seven minutes where it could be a quite an unpleasant appointment into something a little bit better. And so she just engages with them. And I could be here literally all day telling you stories of hope that she's given. The latest one that she came home with the other day was a lady came in her surgery. And because she sees so many people, she doesn't remember them all, of course. And so someone came in and they're chatting and she said, oh, do you remember me? And Amory said, no. And she said, well, you, you took my blood a year ago. And she said, I just want to thank you. And so Anne-Marie said, oh, well, what happened? And this lady said, well, when, when I came in a year ago, um, the reason for the blood test was because we were you know, trying to get pregnant and you just said, I'll pray for you. And then Anne-Marie remembered. And Anne-Marie's really good because she never makes that promise unless she actually follows through with it. But she followed through with it. 
and she remember, and she and then sort of the pen is dropping and the lady gave her a bit more information anyway the outcome is now that she has a child um, which which is wonderful now was that a result of Anne Marie's prayer I don't know but here's what I do know it gave her hope it gave her hope and and so you know we can be agents of hope in a really easy simple non-threatening way and she did that. In fact, Anne-Marie's legally not allowed to do that. Every now and again, she has actually prayed for people in her room. Legally, she could get the sack for that. So now what she would do is she would just say, well, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll pray for you. It's amazing how, number, how many people say, that would be good. Thank you. Um, I, I work full-time. I've worked full-time for a number of years. I worked for a company called Informa. And they've got an office in Colchester in the NLP building. Some of you may know it. And I go to Colchester maybe once a month. And um, it's a two-hour drive, generally on a weekday. I've got two hours in the car where I can be praying for my team. If I'm honest with you, I don't pray for them for two hours. Because I listen to the news for a bit of it. But I tell you what, I do pray for them for the first hour. Just while I'm, I'm, I'm driving around the M25, I just pray that today's going to be a good day. And I can be an agent of hope. And maybe I can say something or do something or, or help people. It's actually not difficult if we are intentional about it. Maybe um, if the lady who played the keyboard so nicely um, earlier on could just come and play, that would be great. Do you do, do, you, do, you do the keyboard thing here? Normally as a sign for the guy speaking to wrap up. It's okay, you just anything, it's fine. Um, listen, you might have had a whole lot of opportunities where you've, you've, you've offered to pray for people or you've done something or you've hoped for something and maybe you actually haven't seen it happen. Maybe you haven't had that, you feel like that success story. Because that's a success story, really, that I just shared. I'm sure there's a whole lot of people that she's prayed for and she hasn't seen and she doesn't know the outcome. But you know what? I'm really heartened by this scripture from 1 Corinthians 15. By the way, if you want to read a scripture just about this whole thing of our eternal hope, our eternal destiny, 1 Corinthians 15 is where I'd recommend you go. Paul says this, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. That's a good exhortation right there. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, it's really great seeing some fresh-faced young people in church. I'm kind of looking over this side more than down there. No offense. But when you've got, when you've got a few gray hairs and a few wrinkles, you go through some times of, you know, you think, oh, gosh, I'll, that didn't quite work out how I expected. And, and, you know, you can be forgiven, actually, for thinking, oh, was that really worth it? When, when you're kind of young like you guys, you feel like you can conquer the world, which is great. It really is. But I love this scripture because for those of you this morning, be thinking, gosh, you know, I'm trying to kind of drum up a little bit of hope. Well, let me remind you, everything that you've done, for the Lord with a good heart and a right attitude has not been in vain again I could I could bore you with a whole lot of stories things that I've done and I did not see the outcome that I expected and I take this scripture as a consolation that well 
God's always working more behind my back than in front of my face. Yeah, and 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 you know, it's it's lovely when you actually hear stories, and, and every now and again you do. You you hear a story like the one I just shared. You you pray for someone or something you've kind of forgotten about it, but in the moment it meant something to you, and then you've heard of a great outcome. Nothing is returned void. I think someone said that earlier in the service. Nothing is in vain. Um, let me give you a, a little quote to end. This is a quote from a guy called um, Bishop Leslie Newbegin, who was an author, missionary, scholar. And um, this is a great uh, quote, actually. He says, I'm neither an optimist or a pessimist when asked if he was either. Jesus is risen from the dead. I'm neither a pessimist or an optimist. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. In other words, my circumstances actually don't matter. You know, or even how I feel about my circumstances don't matter. But what I know is the truth is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And it's that that gives me hope. It's that that enables me to be an agent of hope. Because I'm a recipient of hope. I'm a carrier of hope. And I'm an agent of hope. So why don't we stand this morning. And what I'm going to do is we're going to pray together. Um, and maybe maybe this morning as I've been speaking, something has stirred in your heart. I really hope it has. I hope this morning that you have a greater sense of the fact that you are a recipient of hope. If you own the name of Jesus as your saviour, you are a recipient of hope this morning. So you are a carrier of hope. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just while we stand in the presence of God, I'm just going to invite you to just open your heart and just ask God how you can be an agent of hope in your sphere of influence, in, in your lane. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit right now. Lord, I pray for each person who's just opening their heart. Lord, I pray that you would begin to stir hope afresh. And I pray, Lord, that you would just be revealing areas where people can begin to be agents of hope. Lord, where hope may have felt a little quashed, a little jaded, a little faded, Father, would you right now just be pouring out by your Spirit hope in a greater measure. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that this great congregation of people would just individually and corporately just get a fresh sense, even in this moment, that they are carriers of the greatest hope on planet Earth. And that is the person of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, 
for this living hope that you have placed in our hearts. And Father, even though we live in times that are a wee bit uncertain, we know that we have absolute confidence in you, absolute confidence in your gospel, and absolute confidence in our eternal destiny. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. I, so just as I, uh, as I was praying, I, I sense that for some people, um, your area of being an agent for hope is within your family, which is, is, is really simple, but sometimes it can be really hard. But if for you, you felt this morning that, um, yeah, I, I, I need to be a carrier of hope and an agent of hope in my family, I want to affirm that right now and, and, and I just pray for you that you just have the, the, the confidence and the, the unction really just to follow that through whatever that however that looks wherever that takes you just finally this morning um, I don't know everybody here in this room at all I probably only know a few of you so I don't quite know who I'm speaking to but maybe you're here today and you would say that you've never said yes to Jesus you've never come to that point of acknowledging him as your your Lord and Savior. Well, if that is you this morning and you want to take that first step and say yes to Jesus and effectively open your heart and ask him in, then in a moment I'm going to lead us in a prayer which we'll all pray together. But what I want to say is this. If that is you this morning, it's the best decision you could ever make. It's a decision that not only secures your eternal destiny, but what it does is it, it equips you and it helps you in life here and now. It doesn't suddenly make life easier. It certainly won't take all your problems away. But what it will do is it will give you something of substance on the inside. It'll give you what... It'll, it'll, it, it, it will radically turn your life around because that's what an encounter with Jesus does. It did it for me at 16 years of age. And it's done it for a whole load of people in here. We're so grateful for it. So, so we're going to pray together. And then at the end, um, I'll pass back to, uh, to Dan. So let's just pray together as a church family, this, this, this prayer of faith. For, for us as believers, it's an affirmation of faith. But this morning, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time, it's the most important prayer you'll ever pray. Dear Heavenly Father, now I'd like us to pray with a real amount of gusto this morning because this this is a, either an affirmation of faith or a declaration a first declaration of faith so we're going to start that again if that's okay so dear heavenly father very good we thank you for the cross i thank you for jesus that he died and he rose again thank you jesus for taking my sin away I ask for your forgiveness and I receive, Lord, you into my heart. I declare that I am a recipient of hope. I'm a carrier of hope. I'm an agent of hope. And I pray that you will help me to live a life worthy of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just for 30 seconds, if we can, if I can just ask for every eye to be closed just for now, apart from me.
and maybe one other leader who may be looking. If that was you this morning and you prayed that prayer, either for the first time or maybe you prayed it as a recommitment. Maybe you found yourself kind of wandering away from this whole faith thing, but somehow today you've been drawn back here, drawn back into an environment, and you said yes. If that was you this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold, and that is just to simply put your hand up and acknowledge, today that was me, I made that declaration of faith. And really the reason for that is just we just know that someone has responded, and someone would like to maybe give you a Bible at the end and just connect with you. Um, if you want to come and speak to me at the end, I'd be really happy to pray with you. But if that was you this morning and you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time, just give me a real big wave, just stick your hand up nice and high. If I see your hand, I'll acknowledge it. If I don't, well, someone else maybe will. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in this place this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you've deposited hope in a fresh measure. In Jesus' name, amen.